This is the 4501 Podcast, Episode 5, Monetizing Mobile Apps in 2018. Hey, Tony, what's up? What's up, dude? How's it going? Oh, dude. Okay, there we go. Tell our listeners where you are in the world. I am on my 10th day of my South America trip, and I am in Bogota, Colombia. Okay. Uh, how's the weather down there? It's actually kind of cool out. Uh, the high today was 64 degrees Fahrenheit, since, you know, if you're not familiar, Bogota is like up in the Andes Mountains, so it's 2,600 feet, or 2,600 meters, I'm sorry, above sea level. Oh, wow. Because guess what? It is raining and 45 degrees here in over like rainy Baltimore. It's awesome. Oh, how depressing. Yeah, I know. Um, Anyways, so today we are going to be talking about monetizing mobile apps. But before we start, we have a really cool person joining us on Zoom US conferencing. Is that that how it's actually pronounced? Zoom.us? Yes, Zoom.us. Zoom.us. Yeah, we are not sponsored by Zoom.us. But Zoom, if you want to sponsor us, tweet us at the 4501 podcast or send us an email at the 4501 podcast at gmail.com. Okay, so we got a special guest on the podcast today, our friend Ian McCartney. Ian went to Loyola with us, uh, with Tony and I, while we were there, and he actually lived with us down in Baltimore two to three years after we graduated from college. So Ian moved up to New York now, but he's actually working in the mobile application space. So I think he can provide some like really interesting insight on what we're going to be talking about today on today's episode. So, Ian, can you explain to us a little bit about how you get started in this environment? Sure. Um, yeah. So, when I right out of college, I uh, joined this company called Millennial Media. Millennial Media was, at the time, uh, a mobile ad network that helped app developers um, who were interested in making money on any of the applications that they created um, to add in uh, ad placements or ad slots to, to earn revenue. Um, so pretty excited to join the podcast today and excited to talk about uh, kind of the tips and experiences that I've learned over the years. That sounds great. Uh, hey, Tony, I got a question for you. Yeah, what's up? Before we start, so remember in episode two, Backpacking Basics, when you were prepping to go to South America? I do remember that. Okay. I asked you, who has better Wi-Fi, the Amish or people in South America? So you've been in South America for 10 days. Give me your answer. Hands down, South America. I mean, between here in Bogota and Medellin, it's uh, 10 times faster than up in Reading, where my parents are from. I, I, I don't believe that. It's like, it's like I don't believe you pronounce Medellin. It's, Medellin. it's not Medellin. It's Medellin. Oh, you don't believe that's how you pronounce it. You do believe that well, the no, both. is I don't. Here. I don't believe the internet is faster than the Amish because... I, with they're in the United States. They're in a they're in a great country. And yeah, I don't but they believe they don't use they don't use electricity. So so I went to the Amish market the other day and they were using electricity to ring up my food to, so to you, they took credit card. Those people that rung you up were They're not people. They don't those, call them people. Call them by their names. They are people. They are people. They they, they, they call, are, call them by their names. Here, this is this is useful for everybody. So, <laughs> Mennonites are Mennonites do believe in electricity and use electricity, but the uh, the Amish, the authentic Amish, do not use electricity or ride cars or anything like that. So, there's a difference between the two. What sh- what word should I use? People, groups of people, two religions. Are they even religions? Sex, lifestyles, lifestyles. I don't know. Let me look don't- it up. You really took this to the next level, Tony. <laughs> I don't know. You, this you, is, this uh, is, you brought this it is, up. This is a witty repartee that we have going for every podcast. Yeah, it is. Okay. They're, they're at, religions, I think. They're religions. A group of traditionalist Christian church fellowships. All right. Yeah, two religions. No, okay. That, that sounds so weird. That is weird. That's very cultish. I'm going to say groups of people. Okay, groups of people. Okay. Well, I'm glad you have firsthand experience about knowing about the differences between these two people. So one day you will finally admit that you are part of the Amish church or the Mennonite church. That is not true. Please go back and listen to episode one. Okay. 
Anyways, back to the task at hand. Tony, tell me how you got started in developing these mobile applications or how you became interested in it. Yeah, so we've got a really good story for this. And it all happened back in my sophomore year of college when one of my professors was talking about one of his friends who, you know, received a check in the mail every month for something like $10,000 or more from Apple. And that was because he w- he made a mobile application for the iPhone at the time. And that generated him that much money per month. And that was just like a huge source of inspiration for me. Enough so that I went out and bought myself a book on how to make an iPhone app that summer. And I coded up my first app. And ever since then, between 2010 and 2015, I developed 12 different apps for multiple platforms, iOS, Android, and released them all to the markets. And I saw some moderate success with that. Okay, so did you use that? Did you have the intention of developing mobile apps as like a primary source of income or was it more like a side job? It was always like a dream of mine to make it big on the App Store, right? It was kind of like, you know, the gold rush of 1949 for the App Store, right? Everybody wanted to make an app, a killer app that made them a lot of money. Kind of like like this guy. Sounds like cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. In a similar sense, yes. So that that was part of the reason that I started to go down that path. And that being said, it was only like on the side. It was I did have a small job as an app developer for a few weeks, but other than that, it has all been just a hobby. Of the apps that you've made, Tony, which one is your favorite? Well, my favorite was probably the text bomb app, but that was definitely not the most profitable one. What is the text bomb app? Because I can only assume that my uh, texting bill would be significantly increased compared to the last month. Yeah, so definitely back in the day when I first made that, when they actually charged you per text, um, what the text bomb app was, was basically a text box on the screen that you could enter a message and then another text box where you can enter somebody's cell phone number and then a final box where you can select you know, a number from one to a thousand. And what the app would do when you push the button was to just spam that person's phone with the same text up to a thousand times. So that app only lasted like a week on the market before I got banned for violating some policy. But I thought it was pretty cool that um, it did pretty well for like, I don't know, got like a thousand downloads in the first week or so. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. I think you sent that to me a couple times because we were living together. That was like senior year, right? Yeah, I think so. It was senior year. Yeah, I definitely got some text messages from you that were bombed like that. It was very frustrating. My dad was not happy. So you probably <laughs> owe me like 500 bucks, by the way. Yeah, right. Mm, I'm about that. Okay, so which app is the one you hated making the most? I guess, I don't know. Do you hate making apps? Do you hate Do you hate any of the apps that you made? Oh, of course, yeah. Especially the ones right in the beginning because they were very sloppily put together when I didn't really know how to properly code. So I made one that was an app that figured out what your weight was on other planets. And it was just a very simple app. Like you put in your weight on Earth and then it would tell you how much you weighed on another planet. But it was just like a really ugly interface and really terribly coded. So that was like one of my uh, least proud apps that I made. Oh, man. I remember that one, too. I think. Did you have to pay for that one? I probably had it for like 99 cents at first, but then I realized nobody was buying it. So I just ended up giving it away for free. I think you gave me a download code for that. You're welcome. (laughs) I feel like you gave me download codes for all your apps. Probably. And you were probably the first one who downloaded each one. Yeah, and then I was the first one to delete it also. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. (laughs) All that hard work. So I guess this is a good question. Is it about usage, though, or is it about downloads in the the app marketplace? Like, So like in the podcasting world, right? you don't they don't care about listens per se they care about the number of people downloading your podcast so is it the same way in the app store it depends on what you're aiming for like are you aiming for being the top app in the app store or are you aiming for the most money from the app? I, I guess most money then so if, but so if it's money is it is it downloads it can be it can also be i don't know tony you have probably more experience with this also but like it depends on like if you have ads in your apps or if you have like in-app purchases or stuff like that um, to make money. Yeah, I think back in the day, like 
when the iPhone first came out, it was all about downloads. Like download number was the only metric that people really cared about. But since then, that has changed. There's it's so either, many... It's either downloads or, or, or something else. Like, because I don't think people care. Like, once you put your app into the world, do you care if someone uses it? If well, you're, but if you like... If you... I, I do think there's like statistics on the back end about like how many times people open the app and like how long they have it open. Yeah, because yet. like the, at least like if you look at the, I don't know what the Android or Google Play Store does, but the Apple App Store like refocused everything to, to show like featured applications. And those are ones where like the first time you open the app, the app store application and you're like your iPhone, or your tablet or whatever, um, it'll showcase like five to 10 apps that are in the featured section. And then it'll show like interests based on previous uh, applications that you've downloaded and stuff like that. So they've gotten pretty sophisticated in making sure that downloads are probably good for the application in general, but to get like featured in the app store is, is a big deal because that's a lot of eyeballs that, that go to that on a daily basis. That makes sense. And then, I mean, maybe to this, I feel like a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, they're also like just review, just gives a review. Like does reviews also within the app store help promote the visibility of the app or of the app? Is that part of the equation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially maybe not so much like the text review, like the content of the actual words in the review, but that, that five-star rating system that has a lot to do with, I think, moving the app up from, you know, down below 50 in the top 100 list to 20 or even above that. I gotcha. Okay. So, the, I mean, so it's not just downloads. There's other things like user engagement does matter for apps. Yeah. 100%. Interesting. Okay. Well, anyways, so let's talk about a little about how you actually submit an app. So let's go through the basics of what, Tony, you've done from the start to the end. So can you explain that process a little bit? Yeah, I'll do my best. It's been, I think, close. Don't roll your eyes. Don't <laughs> roll your eyes at me. You can't see that. This is a podcast. For everyone on YouTube, for everyone on YouTube, I'm going to post this video. You just saw Tony <laughs> rolls eyes at me. And the reason I did that was because it is quite a process to publish an app especially for apple to the itunes store they have and i don't even think i can speak intelligently to it anymore because it's been four years since i've done this but there there's so many different steps involved with certificates and getting certificates signed and making sure that that happens like on a yearly consistent basis and you know there there's I think the way that Apple makes the App Store and like all of its products in general so fluid is this like all this stuff that happens behind the scenes and that that burden is put on the app developer to figure that out. But honestly, putting all that complaining aside, once you figure that out, you're golden because you can then go ahead and submit your first app, second app, third app and just follow that same process afterwards. Okay, so but the Google Play Store is different then? Yeah, at least back in the day like four or five years ago it was a lot easier to submit an app to the android app store than the iphone app store and that could have changed since then um i don't know ian do you have any insight on that i've heard similar sentiment around like android apps and and apps that want to get through the google play store um are easier to at least start and and go live rather than rather than apple apps or applications through the apple app store yeah and i think actually part of that now that i'm thinking about this Apple actually has people, physical people, sitting down and reviewing your app, like opening your app, testing it out to see if the functionality works the way that you say it does. But I don't think that exists for Android. Now, it might exist now, like currently in present day, but at least, like I said, five, four or five years ago, that was not the case. Yeah. So like back in the big cryptocurrency boom of February 2018, like they had apps on the Google Play Store and the iTunes, well, not the iTunes store, but basically they had these apps you could download that would actually mine cryptocurrency using your phone. And so like people would just buy, I don't know, a hundred of those stupid like go burn phones because it was cheaper. And they would just open up these mining apps on the phone, keep them running. And they made like maybe like 10 bucks. I don't know. But the there is more prevalence of those apps on the Google Play Store than the iTunes Store. And I think that the iTunes Store um, actually passed some sort of terms and conditions 
that you can't do that anymore. You can't develop a cryptocurrency mining app for that store anymore. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised that they even made it to the iTunes store in the first place, given like... Well, I think I think it was unregulated. So like, well, so they may have like disguised right. it, or the people who were viewing it in Apple, they didn't actually know maybe what they were looking at. Because I mean, cryptocurrency then wasn't as uh, big or well known as it is now. Yeah, that's probably what happened. Tony, as a uh, experienced app developer, um, was it easy to make your apps for both? android and apple like was it easy to make that transition or they're like uh because i know very little or like around overall programming languages but i know that there are several different programming languages um and some apps have to be written in one versus the other was it hard to to do those two things or, or were both written in the same language yeah so it's actually two entirely different code bases and if you don't know what that means it's basically writing one app well, I guess, first of all, you would have to design the app, and that's like on just on paper. Like, you would draw some pictures and whatnot, but then you'd have to take that and implement it and code it in one language. Say we want to do the iPhone first. So when I was doing this five years ago, it was Objective-C. That was the language we used to code apps, and now I think it is Swift is the main language to code an iOS app. Any relation to Taylor Swift? Yeah. <laughs> not We're not talking about her. So you would have to do that entirely from start to finish for the iPhone, code it all up, and then go back to your design, move on over to the Android platform, and code it entirely up from start to finish for Android. So there is, other than the design itself, there is no overlap. There is minimal overlap between the two platforms. Cool. So if you were a aspiring Apple, or if you were aspiring Apple, uh coder or programmer that wanted to make applications specifically for the iTunes store, you would use Swift? Yep. Or learn Swift? Yep. Cool. And then on the Android side, Ooh. it would be, I believe it's still Java. Awesome. I know for at least the, what, so for any like iPad or iPhone, I think one of the preloaded apps right now is the Playground Swift app. And it gives you like a really cool, very layman's term way of like trying to learn how to code in swift so it's pretty cool oh that's really cool it's a cool feature for for non-technical people wanting to learn a programming language really easy yeah that is really easily that's awesome and that comes it sucks your battery life though <laughs> it sucks in your battery life. just keep it it's like, huge, charged in. it's like a it's like a video game but it's like a really cool like simple video game that you write commands into like a prompt in in this programming language for apple and so i think it's really cool to for any non-technical people or people trying to learn how to program it's a good it's a good first step yeah it sounds good so tony are any of your apps still in the market and if so how much are they actually making yeah so they're slowly dying i think because of updates to the iphone the operating system and when that happens some of the i guess former functionality um, makes them like irrelevant and they don't work anymore so they'll uh, get knocked off of the the store but there are still uh, plenty of apps that i still have on the market uh, most of which i give away for free but some that i still do sell and um, the cool thing is that they kind of act like passive income for me at this point because you know, the idea of passive income is to do some work initially and then make money off of it indefinitely. And that's kind of what I'm seeing. So um, I guess since I started coding apps and since 2010, I've seen profits close to six or $7,000 over the course of that time. And, you know, every month I'll get like another, uh, I don't get a physical check, but I'll get a small deposit into my, one of my bank accounts for like anywhere from 25 to to $100, depending on the time of year. So I'm, I'm very satisfied with that. You know, this is work that I've done four, five, six years ago, and I'm still reaping the benefits of it today. D does Apple uh, take off a cut of your profits? I was just going to ask that question. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, they do. And so does Android. The industry standard for a paid app is Apple gets... 30% and you get 70%. So if I sell an app for a dollar or 99 cents, I'll get 70 cents. Did you know before you put an app up for 99 cents that you had this like 70-30 split or like, and did that 
have any weight in you putting it at 99 cents versus like a dollar 99 yeah so i definitely did some experimentation with that like playing around with how much i should sell my app for um most of all you're going to get the most downloads for a paid app at 99 cents like that is like the industry standard anything above that people start to like in my experience at least stray away from that so um when i when i did release one of my first paid apps i released it for $1.99 initially and i got you know some 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 amount of downloads but when i bumped that price down to 99 cents i saw my number of downloads increase significantly so um that's where i that's kind of how i figured that out so ian brought up a good point in his world uh, people actually say to think about app monetization before you make the app yeah so uh i used to work at um like i mentioned before like an old company called millennial media that got actually bought and acquired by aol a couple years ago um and what it was is or what it was was a mobile ad network whose purpose was to help apps make money and like through various ways and the main way was um ad monetization and and putting ads into applications as a way for these applications, developers, or even sometimes even large, large organizations to make hundreds and thousands of dollars based on the number of users that go to the application and, and download it. So, so what, when they're thinking forward, are they thinking more of like how, what's the best place to add an ad to add an ad in this <laughs> app? Or is it like, how can I get the most downloads? Yeah, I mean, from like the advertising technology space or ad tech space, like that's yeah. how we always want developers to think and i'm curious to get tony's thoughts on whether or not that's like reality um a lot of the times what ad networks or companies that work in the ad tech space who whose main kind of revenue stream on their own side is for developers to put ads in their apps and 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 um get revenue from that is to think about it as if you were the user so like i've am definitely seen apps where they just spam you with video ads every single time like you pass through like in a level or something like that. And that's like kind of a crappy user experience. Um, but they know at least the ad networks and, and sometimes the developers and a lot of the times the developers know those video ads actually garner a much higher rate for revenue stream. So there's things in the industry called in the ad tech industry specifically called a CPM or an ECPM. And that's essentially what's the effective rate of every time a thousand users visit um, that specific ad slot. Um, it's so called, videos. It's called ECM. ECPM. ECPM. Effective, effective cost per melee, or essentially effective cost per thousand views. Gotcha. I think that's the same in podcast world. So the same, it, yeah. Yes. I mean, you don't get anything like you don't get any ad until you get a thousand views at least, or a thousand downloads. Yeah. So like, there's and like there's different prices depending on like the kind of ad unit. So like if you were a new app developer trying to make money through your app i would think about how to embed a video into kind of a normal either endpoint of like a level or a normal point in like a user experience to not disrupt the user but to also at the same time um, on your own like make money from that video ad or from that like banner that's always on like the bottom or top of the page because you can depending on the amount of users you can get a good a good chunk of revenue yeah i just want to break in here and like contrast this with a developer perspective a software developer perspective for me at least i could be an outlier but i highly doubt it the functionality of the app is what comes first and i think secondary to that is how to monetize or where to stick in these ads after the fact Maybe now that I'm more mature as a software developer and I can, you know, kind of think about the design of the app and I've spoken to Ian about this on other occasions, I can kind of like design around that. But for most people, I feel like, or for most software developers, I feel like how you're going to monetize an app comes secondary. But that that's, that's okay, I think, because that's how companies like the one that Ian used to work for and does work for uh, help you figure that out yeah no and i think like um i think that's the constant like struggle between what the ad tech world wants which is ultimately to get as many eyeballs on an ad as possible like to drive user engagement to make sure those like brands are 
are using those kind of tools effectively. But I totally agree. I don't think it was ever a reality where um, like you create this incredible application and then you're thinking, hmm, where should a video ad go? Like that is never, I would never think like that. So it's I cool think about that every night before figure. I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, okay. So that's a good way to look at it. So, but the question I have is how do you decide? So let's say you put out, I see this on the app store all the time. You have a paid version and then you have a free version. How, is that just the best way to make money off of, is that the easiest way, I guess? Is that the easiest way to make money off of your app? Going back to like what Tony was saying before, like experimentation is actually like a really good way to understand what is the best way to make money off of your application. So it could be your paid app is killing it. And for whatever reason, the experience on the paid app, whether that be a dollar or two dollars, is much better without ads or without in-app purchases than the light version or the one with ads. But that being said, like, I'm curious to get Tony's aspect and, and perspective. So I've only had experience with making money off of apps as like a paid app. I never done any type of advertising in my apps or subscriptions or anything like that, or in-app purchases for that matter. I would have to say though, just from observation and from a passive income perspective, giving away an app for free and then monetizing on top of that like with either if it's in-app purchases great if it's ads great but if it's subscription that's even better from a passive income perspective because that is where you're going to get that recurring revenue and uh what's an example of a a, a subscription app that you guys seen a predatory app a predatory app <laughs> is it yeah it is it is predatory apps man all right, we'll get to that after this. Tony, explain. <laughs> so I think like a good example of a subscription-based app is, I don't know, what is, what is what is actually? I got one. I got one. So so basically, I got it. I got it. Don't worry. Oh, we got a lot of text messages. So I use, <laughs> and this is not sponsored by Adobe. We're not sponsored by Adobe. But Adobe, if you want to sponsor us, hit us up on Twitter or email, please. <laughs> um, I use the Adobe Lightroom app and basically what adobe did is that they have it's free to download but to use the full extent of the app you have to pay 6.99 a month as part of this creative cloud subscription process so um if you want to a upload all your photos to their cloud services or b unlock the full features of your app you have to pay 6.99 a month to use it and so it's like an automated billing process. You basically, it's not through Adobe, it's through iTunes. So basically every month you get a six ninety nine charge from iTunes uh, to use, and that'll unlock the full features of the app. Yeah. I got another good example of a subscription-based app, Tinder. They give away Tinder for free, and then mm -hmm. you can get Tinder Plus for like $10 a month. Or Tinder yep. Gold for, I think, $15 a month. You seem to know a lot about the different prices of Tinder, yeah. Tony. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> do they have Tinder in Colombia? I would think so. I haven't checked, though. Why not? Oh, I don't use Tinder when, anymore. When did Medellin do as the Medellins do? You're, you're pronouncing it right. Good job. What is that, anyway? Tinder? No, no, no. Or Medellin? How do the, how do the Medellins do it? I don't know. They swipe right. Is that isn't that what the, everyone does? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah. Okay. So t so I liked my example of the, of the Lightroom Creative Cloud better. But I guess if you want to go Tinder, we'll go Tinder. There's also in, like the cable, the like streaming cable uh, providers also. Oh, is that? But uh, yeah, I guess so. Right. I guess like, it's not technically like a Netflix. But they Netflix have an auto renewal. Netflix is, yeah. is is like a subscription based service. But you don't. So the difference there is you don't purchase netflix through the app you purchase it outside of the app through the company yeah through the company yeah whereas yeah. tinder you buy oh, it oh that's the a app good store. that's a good distinction yeah i never thought about that like you so like creative cloud goes through the itunes store i guess tinder also goes to the itunes store too but if you, but you pay like do you get like an itunes charge or do you get an adobe charge or like a netflix charge the receipt comes from itunes what, yeah. The receipt is so Tony's saying that it right. So Tony's saying you're we get it from Netflix. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Teams, right? yeah. 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 
Exactly. So, cool. so that's a weird distinction to think about. But, I mean, it doesn't have effect on, on, on monetization whatsoever, really. No, yeah, it's just a different category, I guess, of how to make money off of an app. It, it's still subscription, but it's not um, in-app purchase subscription. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I was... I'm finally getting into predatory apps. So I was on Google News, my main source of, of news, and people actually use this subscription-based model as a way to get, like, essentially, it's, they're, they're basically scamming people to scam artists. So what they'll do is they will make a very convoluted process and a very confusing process. And so if you download this free app, they will actually um, kind of manipulate you into purchasing a subscription for like five ninety nine a month, and then you get hit with these recurring charges and you don't know about it because you actually didn't know you signed up for it. So that that is one thing. To, that's one thing to be aware of. That actually sounds like something that happened to me when I first signed up for like an Audible account. I thought I was just downloading an audiobook for like fifteen bucks, but. Yeah. I looked at my credit card three months later and I saw that I had all these charges from Audible every single month. So I think that's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, so you just sign up for these recurring charges and and you don't know that the, the, you don't know that you signed up for it until you see it on your credit card statement. Yeah, I'm surprised that it's not more um, explicit or there's not a way to that the app stores have taken like uh, there's not a step that the app stores have taken to prevent that from happening. Well, I think they are, not that they know about it. But, like, it's insane. People are getting charged, like, 20 bucks a month for this. Oh, wow. It's really, like, yeah, it's, it's some some of them are, like, a dollar here, a dollar there. But, like, others are, like, 20 bucks. And for, like, the, and the, I guess the 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 kind of way they present it is, oh, we're, we're selling you these extra features for 20 bucks. But mm-hmm. you don't really get that much. Yeah, that's, that's definitely not a good way to approach making revenue or generating revenue um it'll, it'll work for short term but it's definitely going to catch up with you at some point and you're going to get banned not, maybe your account but maybe your app or maybe your account but you're going to get kicked off of the iphone or android store yeah so watch out users for predatory apps they're out there they're preying on you right now all of us are in danger don't scare our audience that much <laughs> just, just 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 don't buy anything just don't buy anything <laughs> we're here to educate them not to scare them oh the world is coming to an end my friend because of these predatory apps episode 25 episode 25 okay all right so um are we actually going to get into ad placement now yeah let's talk about ad placement and we have our expert here to talk about that so ian tell us about ad placement and what as a software developer or even just in general, like how does this whole thing work? So, uh, in the mobile economy, and like to get ads in like a mobile app, typically developers should uh, download what is called like an ad SDK. So, if you're an Android developer, you're in luck because uh, the AdMob SDK should be automatically um, as a it should be there as a default. Uh, but the for any Apple developers, what you should do is look and kind of do some key searches on um, certain SDKs, like ad SDKs. So while I don't promote any of these, um, like the biggest brands and biggest kind of ad tech platforms in the game for mobile specifically is a company called Mopub. Mopub has an SDK that aggregates a lot of the biggest players in kind of the ad industry um, and allows you to, to take advantage of their kind of network of of demand sources to get um, the best price uh, and the kind of the most money for for each ad placement that you want. So is is MoPub, for example, like, would they be considered a third party that works directly with companies like, I don't know, I'm just thinking of like Coca-Cola or, you know, L'Oreal or something like that. Zynga? Zynga's an app company. Zynga? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So Zynga is an app is an application that um, I think we've all seen have have ad placements like all over. Um, like if you play like Words with Friends, um, Scramble Friends, you'd have yep. you'd play yeah something like that. Um, every time you play a word or you play a puzzle or whatever, um, a big old kind of either a like a full screen page would come up 
and it would be a, an ad for something specific. That all of the mechanics and and underlying um, kind of uh, what's the best way to describe it? Kind of the, all of the the bids and and all the kind of underlying economics of that happen in milliseconds and happen through um, things called exchanges or ad exchanges specifically uh, and in order to get and take advantage of that you kind of the way to do it in in the mobile space is to download these advertisement SDKs or software development kits um, they're typically lightweight I know that's a big like development weight in, in, in the amount and the size of like an SDK is crucial um, so you should always ask what the what the size of the SDK is if you're curious about learning more about this. And a lot of them try to be as lightweight and, and modular as possible. I'm curious from the other side of this, like from the the person who is issuing the ad, like the company who is issuing the ad, do they pay per impression or do they pay per click? Or is it a combination of both? Yeah, it's actually there's actually three main ways in which either brand advertisers or their kind of associated ad agency ad agencies think about um, the advertisement and the user. And it's all it's rooted in what the goal of the ad campaign is. So if the goal is, I don't know, say you're a new car manufacturer and you have this new 2019 model um, and you want to just get as many people talking about it or aware of this new car brand, you would not care about the number of clicks. While that would be a cool little metric to see how many people are clicking on it or how many people are, are looking at any of the what are called call to actions or like pieces of information on the ad. Um, you would want what is called, you or you would pay for um, the thing I was talking about before, which is called CPM or cost per thousand views. So you would pay a flat rate of X amount of dollars um, and you would run various ad creatives and you would push it through these ad exchanges to hit users like ourselves to get us attentive and engaged in this new car um, versus another way to do it is cost per click. So the one that you were just mentioning. So there's actually specific costs associated to the, um, the exchange every time a user clicks on an ad because the kind of underlying assumption there is if you click on it, you're more than likely engaged and interested in this specific product. So later on, if you click on it, they can do what is called retargeting. It's all anonymous, of course, but they would kind of target like another campaign to you to get you even more interested and 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 curious about this new car manufacturer. So so do the exchanges take money also, or is it all like how how is the 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 cost divvied up? Uh, it's roughly, so I think all exchanges vary, but I would think that is something that uh, as you go into each exchange, you can have that conversation um, with those various platforms. But there is a cost because they take it off because there's they built the tech stack or the bidder for that auction and for that like um, exchange to occur. So it's they take a they take a piece as well. Another question for you, Ian. Does the size of the ad matter? Like I see in some ads sometimes that are just like, you know, sl a little slip across the bottom. And then sometimes, like you mentioned, they're like a full screen ad. Do those, do mm -hmm. those, and actually now that I think of it, like there's also like video advertisements too. Um, can you speak about the different types of ads within an app? Sure. Yeah. So there's, there's three major uh, kind of, types or categories of, of ads that you should think of or focus on. The first one is a banner. So anytime you go to any app that has this static piece of ad that is always at the bottom of the app screen, like no matter how you scroll around the page, that those are um, pretty common, but also garner the lowest price for you. So um, because it all depends on the the available size of the screen that you have the that you have available to engage with the user so think of it in terms of um, sizes really so the banner super small it's it's small enough to not be this intrusive thing but we all notice it the next one are called these full page ads or what are called interstitials um, it's a static image normally pretty nice looking 
and a lot of those are I don't know movie premieres or cars or anything really those take up the entire screen that's another way to do it and then the last one which you mentioned before which garner the highest price and are typically what's the word I'm looking for the most pr- the easy like the, or not the, the most visible yeah the most visible and kind of the most naturally like engaging piece of of advertisement is is a video ad so so yeah so like for example a video ad so that is after you finish a level or after you beat a game or beat a mission in an application there is this 15 or 30 second video those typically garner upwards of like 10 to 20 to 30 bucks for a thousand views um and those can and it can be even higher than that depending on on the kind of video um but those are the trickiest to get into an application because that is 30 seconds of a user's time and if you can't opt out of that video which some can't um, do just based on how they're kind of created that's kind of a risk so you don't want to lose a user based off of like a crappy ad experience so you always got to think about that yeah those are definitely the most annoying ads if you can't dismiss them and uh, as close out the app (laughs) there you go that's a good option the app (laughs) that hurts the app right good I'm just kidding. No, don't do that. <laughs> no, these are all good things to consider from the development perspective and from the ad side. Yeah. So, so is there, is there a minimum threshold? I think we talked about thousand. Is a thousand a minimum threshold to actually get ad revenue for um, for the specific campaign that's running? So there's a lot of there's I, I missed one before. So there's three broad types of campaigns. Yep. DPM, which is a thousand views cpc which is as long as you click on it as long as the user clicks on the ad there's a specific cost for your the, to you like you would earn that money back as as a result of a user clicking on that ad because you have engaged users stuff like that and and depending on the ad campaign that's that's pretty good to have then there's another one um, which mobile does a lot specifically is uh, cpa or cpi CPA is like cost per acquisition or in the kind of mobile world cost per install. Okay. So there's specific campaigns that are driven to make like to try and have a user install an app. So like anytime you see any kind of game or app that says install now or play for free on an ad, typically those are CPI or like cost per install. So that's you get paid a lot of money for that, especially if you have users that are that are engaged and want to download the apps that are um, coming through the ads. Because uh, once you install the app and once you start using it, like that's huge for the specific app or the brand that's that's running that ad. That makes sense. Now I know you mentioned earlier, Ian, that you remain anonymous as a user from the perspective of the advertiser. Is that I feel like at least online, like when you go to a web browser, I, I see advertisements from one site that I visited on another site. Is there, mm-hmm. does that anonymity, how do you say it? Anonymity. 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 Do you remain anonymous like between apps? Yeah. You do. You do. You absolutely should. So you should. Um there are lots of legal ramifications if you don't, if at least in the platform that you're, that you as a person, like any kind of um, platform that you uh, kind of traverse through the internet or on a mobile app, like you absolutely should be anonymous. While you, the developer or the company probably has like specific information for you based on what you've like inputted, um, that's one thing, but there's another way that like advertisers and, and other platforms target you and it's through i forget what the google one is but there's a thing called idfa um in apple which is kind of your anonymized user identification thing i um, mean you can actually opt out of that uh so there are ways in which you can remain anonymous truly like very closely anonymous um but the sophistication of a lot of ad tech platforms get they they have a thing called um it depends on the platform but they have an anonymized user identification record. Um, so I would be user one, two, three, four. And user one, two, three, four has downloaded 
this app through the Mopub SDK, this app through the AdMob SDK has clicked on various things uh, and and been around. Um, they create what is called like a profile, and they try and target campaigns that are that are most interested and most trying to be as successful as possible. Because at the end of the day, like advertisements' goal is to is to engage with the users and to ultimately help and influence kind of the brand's brand's goals. Okay, so it seems like you remain anonymous as a person, but your behavior is essentially being tracked. Yep, that's it. Yeah, like the the behavior is a good way of describing it. It's not like you specifically, but it's like a lot of these platforms have a pretty good idea of kind of your interests and and behaviors based on your previous like search history or based on like the the web you visit. And I think it's worth pointing out here that this is not necessarily a bad thing. Like advertisers are doing this in order to give you better advertisements, right? Like you don't want to be bombarded with random products that you're never going to use. You might as well, if you are going to see ads, you want to see ads that are relevant to you and your lifestyle. So I think looking at this in a positive light, that is a reason not to opt out of these type of services. Yep. No, yeah, it's really... it it's you hit the nail on the head like in it's in positive way it's trying to like make sure you're seeing the most relevant products things features that are suited for your lifestyle um in the hopes that you that for the brand or the specific platform they would buy that specific item versus another one that you were looking at previously yeah that totally makes sense yeah um okay uh ian question for you uh, since Tony probably doesn't know about this. So as you and I play video games a lot, okay? And one of the yep. things that we hate are microtransactions or loot crates or stuff like that. And so, <laughs> and so when I am looking at, I don't know, Clash of Clans or Farmville, if that still even exists, but like apps in general, you have the ability to pay real currency for in-app purchases or to buy like better forts or better uh, weapons or whatever, whatever it may be. But you have the yeah. ability to use real money to buy stuff in game. So what what do you think? Like, is that a viable strategy for monetizing your app? I totally think it is, but I also think it depends wholly on how they're utilized. So in app purchases, like in the kind of example that we're doing, like coins or buying a thousand coins for two bucks in an app. If it makes sense to the application itself, so like if you were building like a online multiplayer war type game, and users want to get ahead of the other person and they don't want to grind through like a hundred hours or two hundred hours to get all the things, adding an in-app purchase of a thousand coins for a buck makes total sense. But it all depends on how it's used. So I wouldn't, I would steer clear of trying to do every single piece of monetization possible. Um, to go back to like what Tony and I were talking about, like experiment, like if in-app purchases makes sense and you're seeing a lot of revenue from it, do it, like keep trying it out. Um, or if video ads are working for you and you're seeing a lot of revenue from that, don't try and add in more because users will get pissed off at that, but try and make either more apps or more levels and missions and, and stuff like that and add in new placements to, to help you kind of further invest and further add more kind of add to your current application or your current design to, to upgrade it. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good idea. Um, my favorite, so this is a little off topic, but it's putting everything together. My favorite uh, monetization scheme, and I learned about this in business ethics back when we were in college. So we had a teacher named Graham McAleer. He's the greatest teacher ever. And he, he talked to us, Back, this is in 2007 and 2008. Back then, uh, there was a game called Second Life, which was ridiculous. Like, he would talk about Second Life a couple of times a week. And so, but what Second Life is, is basically it's this, it was the mine, it was pre Minecraft. So, they had a server, you basically set up a character, and you would go into these servers and, or these worlds, and you would be able to, to make a Second Life. And so, what Graham McAleer said, this is, and this is the first time I actually heard about monetization, was that this guy made a horse, and you can like he encoded this horse to put into the game, but people got the horse for free, 
But in order to keep the horse alive, you had to feed it hay. And so what he did was he made people pay like a dollar a day or something like that, like a dollar a week for like X amount of hay to feed the horse. And people did it. And this dude made millions of dollars off of just a horse in the hay, which is crazy. That is something that probably won't ever happen again. I I, I know. But like that's crazy to think that this dude, this simple strategy, could you make you so much money? Yeah, yeah, and it's not even like a tangible product. It's just a virtual no. thing yeah. that you never it's, see. It, it's lines. I mean, that's. I mean, what's the what's the best example of that for today? Like, I don't know. Uh, it's probably like. I mean, I don't know what. At least in terms of video games, I know the game Fortnite. You can buy certain skins, skins. and yeah buck yeah and 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 at least do it like that yeah but like that's such a tony think of a way to do that that's super that's super passive income code a horse and code a horse into a game and then code hay into the game too and just live off those residuals all right i'm working on it (laughs) all right uh well it looks like i think we're running short on time here so we're just gonna end this podcast episode tony what's what's your plans for the next couple days down in uh columbia I plan to go down to the southeastern tip of Colombia, which is where I think the Amazon originates, the Amazon River, and take a boat down the river for a few days and end up in a place called Iquitos, Peru, which is like a really remote place down there, and um, hang out there for a couple of days, maybe do some excursions, and then I'm not sure after that, probably go down to Machu Picchu. Okay, cool. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about before we end this podcast? No, I think um, just to remind our users, this podcast is about travel, technology, and a ton of tangents. So this was our first episode about technology, and I'm very happy to have Ian here on the the podcast for this episode. Um, So thank you, Ian, for taking the time out of your day to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, We'll see you guys the next time. Thanks for watching, and thanks for listening. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode. Please follow us on Twitter at the 4501 Podcast to keep up with the latest news and events. If you have any suggestions for episodes or would like to contact us, shoot us an email at the4501podcast at gmail.com.